Hi, I'm Fred Schonenberg, and thank you for joining me on the Venture Fuel podcast. At Venture Fuel, we help companies find new solutions by partnering with the best startups from around the world. On the show, you'll learn the secrets of business leaders who tap into startups and the founders driving extraordinary results. We'll consider new ideas, stretch our mindsets beyond the status quo, and in the process, discover how to leap the competition and fuel personal growth. On today's show, I'm speaking with the CMO whisperer herself, Lindsay Slabby, the founder of Sunday Dinner. Lindsay is part orchestrator, master networker, and creative powerhouse. Her North Star is to help build better marketers by rethinking their marketing strategy and delivering on it by orchestrating new approaches to organizational design and external partner relationships. Lindsay was just named to AdAge's 40 Under 40 list for all the work she is doing with clients like Target, Microsoft, Stitch Fix, Mass Mutual. She is easily one of my favorite people to have a meal with, and without question, she runs the most vibrant Slack community on the planet. Today, we chat about the disruptive new model that is Sunday Dinner, how to work with external partners, and the power of new thinking to drive growth. So let's get after it. Lindsay, welcome to the show. It's so nice to have you. Thanks for having me. And a great intro. I miss our Bubby's Tribeca New York breakfast we used to have. You're one of the few people that I ever like have had a meal with where I like wanted to be cool and not have a notebook with me, but you were saying so many like smart, <laughs> interesting things that I was like, I was listening to you, but also like trying to remember everything you were saying. It was it was always like a very fun mental game. We already just teased you right before we started that you inspired me uh, with your, what was it, 100 mile plus bike ride this weekend? Yes. I took the train from New York to New Haven and rode the rails to trails up towards Northwestern Connecticut. Really fun way to see all the leaves changing. Well, I love it. I I was so inspired. I did 15 minutes on the Peloton and pretended that I had done the exact same thing that you did and, and called it a day. Okay, now it's a little stalker-esque, but okay. (laughs) So with all seriousness, so can you tell everybody the origination story of Sunday Dinner, how it came to be, and and maybe a little bit about what it has evolved to today? I mean, the simple way to say is I have always wanted to find unique ways for individuals to get connected more upstream in the ideation process when it comes to dreaming up big ideas and marketing strategy. And I've had a close connection in parts of my career to a lot of makers and creatives and thinkers. I'm just drawn with great curiosity to anyone doing interesting things in the world, as well as on the other side to brands who are really trying to find the right ways to access those minds. So the very idea of bringing people together over a table is something that makes a lot of sense. And it used to happen. I moved from Park City, Utah to New York, which is drastically different. And uh, that was maybe in 2008. And I found that especially in New York, I was just so enchanted with all of the amazing people that you know kind of fall into your lap in different ways that only a city like New York can offer. 
and constantly wanted to learn from them and find interesting ways to put people together and create dynamic ideas. And my hunger has always been about getting things done. And so how do you do that? And how do you think about that in interesting ways? And really opened up my home personally on Sunday nights for dinner. And as I was designing this new model of what I wanted to create when I ran my own business and where my passions were, I had just like that assembled a dinner of some of my brightest friends and confidants. And someone raised their hand and said, are we still going to have the dinners? Why don't we call it Sunday dinner? And I immediately was like, is the URL available? (laughs) It was for a pretty penny. But you know, it really, you know, when you're naming a company, it's so interesting. People think of such random names to try to make something that sounds good, but it truly, you know, embodies these things that I really knew I was great at and want to bring into every experience I have in my business, which, you know, it pointed me to whatever I do this thing, Sunday dinner, it needs to be able to cultivate diverse thinkers in fresh ways, whether that's active on a project or a little less now that we're in kind of the environment that we are in now, which we do on Slack, we can talk about. And it also, you know, I needed to figure out ways to orchestrate and pull the best out of people to try to help them activate their dreams and ideas, whether that be on the client side or the talent side. And I think that's probably the best way to explain how it came to be. If I'm a client and I'm trying to understand, because even when some people ask me, what does Lindsay do? Like my immediate thought is the dinners uh, that you've put together or even early on in COVID, right? You put together an amazing, like a cocktail, like social, and it was so curated. And the group of people that were on it were just fascinating. So like, I'm always like, Lindsay brings together a group of people that wouldn't normally get together and brings out this creativity and thoughtfulness and ideas that you just wouldn't get somewhere else. But how do you describe that sort of to a potential client? I finally have really kind of landed. I mean, my North Star is very much so building better marketers. And most often the phone call I get brought in is a new CMO or head of marketing who's either coming into a business or going through a large change. And they really need like this wing person, I'm going to say, wing woman to come with them and help them uncover all the new possibilities that can really happen within their organization, whether that's looking at you know the types of work we're making, how and where we spend money, organizational design, how we access diverse talent inside our organization and outside our organization. So truly, the CMO Whisperer title does really make a lot of sense in that I'm helping to build better marketers within their, you know, and how they think about building these organizations. But that process of how you get to great ideas, whether that be organizational design, which seems really boring, or a great creative idea, or even, you know, an innovation on a product, like much like you do, you need to find inspiration. You need to bring different people, you need to bring different point of views. And so, what I love and what is easier to talk about in terms of what you do as a you know consultant to strategist is usually really boring to people, is how you create those moments to activate outside thinkers. And on projects, those are very often dinners or unique ways to bring people together. Or if I'm on retainer with a client, then part of my remit is often filling them with fresh insights. 
And I love to imagine doing those in really unique ways. And I think that's also, you know, the passion I have for doing that. Clients definitely see it. But, you know, we work in advertising and marketing and product creation, and we need to be able to make sure that there's still fun and magic in how we do that. And I think that conversation with interesting, unique people really is a part of that. Can you talk a little bit about how you cultivate and maintain this it's incredibly vibrant community? We mentioned the Slack channel, uh, and I know it extends beyond that, right? Because I've been to some of these meals, and it's really a, a diverse group of thinkers from different angles with different skill sets. Were you at the can? Yeah. Yeah. That was so cool. That was really such a fun moment. You know, I feel like the dinners at Cannes, although you know there's wonderful people around you, oftentimes nobody takes the time to really bring you all together. And that was what we tried to do. And I felt like I got a click deeper on everyone versus just their face and name tag in that, which is challenging to do in an event like that and and really fun. I thought that part of me just wanted to ask you how to facilitate networking because the can dinner is a great example in that you know most people put a lot of smart people in the room and just say let's hope they sit next to the right person and, and things go you actually had triggers you know there were there were things uh, you know on our napkins on our plates that sparked conversations in smaller groups and then with the larger group and people introduced each other it was dynamic of an hour that i spent that whole week there which was you know always inspiring but it was like you got to know a little bit about everyone in the room, got to go deep with a couple people and then network afterwards. I, I just thought it was so well done and such an interesting... A lot of people don't take that risk, right? They don't want to like impose on their guests. Yeah. And people are really nervous to speak in situations. That's where icebreakers were really fun, where it was like you were opening up this little package and it asked you a question. And so you're doing it. It wasn't like you had time to premeditate on it and you could mess up. And so that allowed your guard to come down and you weren't just sitting and waiting for someone to get to you and like, what's the question? But no, so so fun. I think it's funny too, because you might not believe it, but I am incredibly introverted, more so over the past couple of years. I mean, I could stay in my home for three weeks and be very happy. I never see another (laughs) another human being. But uh, let's get to one of the things you were talking about. Okay, so this community, the Slack channel, I think that community is about two years old. I can't say that I remember the impetus for really starting it, but I used to do a lot of surveys with similar people. And I would bring those insights into you know my active marketing projects. So maybe we're thinking about influencer strategy for someone or how we're rebuilding content models or how we're rebuilding an agency roster. And it's so valuable to have premium people you trust that you can ask questions and kind of get gut checks or interesting ideas. So I think that's where the Slack group came from. It was also really meant to share and support people who were going through similar things I was going through. You know, I went through a buyout of an investor and lots of things that you learn in growing an eight-year-old business. And I love sharing, (laughs) oversharing. And I just wanted a place to say, Oh my gosh, are you going through the same thing? Let me share how I did this. So maybe it could help you. I had amazing people who were able to do the same for me and it really helped me. So 
it hovers at 230 people, I think. I I literally try to keep it at that number. I don't know why versus 240, but it's 230. And I try to make sure that it's really active people. I'm hesitant to make it any bigger because I just don't believe bigger is better. I also have personal issues with scale and control. We could talk about that later. But it's all these people that, you know, at first it really started as a lot of consultants going through the same thing. And then we started adding in people with, you know, different types of interests and capabilities. And it grew into a more virtual idea of that dinner table and those gatherings, which should not be overly programmed, but should as we were talking about at this can dinner, have thought starters, have injections, have little things that you could either respond to if you're a person who wants to respond or you just read something and took it and maybe took that along with you on your day. And it really helps me stay inspired. And you know, as, as you know, as a member, I write a lot and I write a lot of personal things and try to show some vulnerability because I think there's a piece of EQ that's missing from these digital communities as well. And, you know, especially during this time, just little simple things that we can talk to the community about to say, you know, how can I help you out? Or FYI, like I'm going through this. <laughs> this is what happened. I think it uh, hopefully it remains a gold standard and feeds people in, in new ways with fresh thinking and relationships. I think one of the areas that you and I have talked a lot about is the sort of need or value of outside perspective or new thinking, especially thinking of some of both of our clients, right? So big companies, the need for them to look outside of their own walls. And I kind of want to start down that that path a little bit, but there, there's been a lot of press, right, on the idea of in-housing that you know, large companies are bringing creative services in-house, uh, creating their own agency, what are your thoughts or what are you seeing on that? And maybe also share your perspective on the value of outsourcing. Yeah. One thing about me, I'm I'm a little bit of a headline cynic in terms of trade things. I don't really like reading stats that say 85% of people say this is what they're doing. And 90% of people say this is what they're doing, you know, X, Y, and Z. Who are those people? How is that question asked? Because I can say I've got 90% of clients who aren't doing any of that. And I, I know for sure I have the privilege of working with a lot of leaders in the advertising world. So I really think when you talk about in-housing, anything that was really discussed before, you know, it's like B, C, someone said this the other day on a podcast I was listening to before COVID, after COVID. Um, it's really about this situation. We are all in as a marketing marketing and creative services organization that's that's looking at what are the types of communications I need to make to support business as usual, everyday business. Where do I need to lift out to be able to attract people and draw them into our business? And how are we going to get after this? Who's going to help us do that? So building an in-house model or just saying, I'm going to build an in-house model isn't necessarily the right solution. It is a massive undertaking and a complete shift to the business. You know, it adds headcount, it changes your financial model of what you're expensing. You know, it's not like the buckets are from the same place to add salary and headcount. We know that. And it really changes your culture. So it's not taken lightly, obviously, to do that. Businesses then, you know, 
uh, need to upgrade not only the in-house team, but the people in the organization to become a culture, I think, that embraces creativity. So if you're building an in-house team just to get things cheaper, that is not the right reason. I can very nicely recommend a million other partners that can get things cheaper and then you build a really, really, really great delivery automation service that sits on top of that, that makes sure that's facilitated with ease. But when we're talking about what our creative services model needs to be, I think you start with like, where within this company do we value creativity? If you're constantly fighting with a board that doesn't understand the value of creative thinking to actually drive the business, let's start there. If you've got them on that hook, amazing. Now let's dream of the North Star of like what we want to build as communications and as that culture of creativity. So then you start to think about like, A, what is the skill set I need of my internal marketers to support whatever that goal is, right? So if you're going to build in-house, what does that mean? If you're going to build, have external partners, you're going to have some sort of combination. What's my marketing skill set I need internally? And then because things like you used to send to an agency like, email drip campaigns, those now actually are the job of a marketer. They're not in the creative agency category anymore. So you've got a lot of things that are just moving around that also need to be adjusted. But once you've really decided around you know, what types of things you want to do in-house versus out-of-house, whatever, I think a really critical area and probably where your most tense area as well as expensive area is what is the level of concept development you want to do and creation internally. And it's not all about the cost, obviously, in terms of the production, but where the value creation comes from the company. As I was talking a little bit about before, you know, is is building in-house all about lowering costs and where do you really see value, which is important. There's no silver bullet, I guess. And you can't just look at creative services in a box. It's marketing services and creative. And it's like, what's the role of a modern marketer? What types of things should they actually be taking on? And then creative services, your model is going to be a hybrid. You can't do everything in-house. Let's say you take search in-house. You still need to have some external consultants that help inject fresh thinking. It's totally hybrid. And you can build a wonderful, wonderful model on paper in terms of like where you're going to put everyone. But if you don't have a great like strip through the middle of people who orchestrate that and bring it through and sell it in and up and change the culture, then it doesn't work. So I try to really think about all these nuanced things with my clients a little bit. It doesn't mean you know we need to take four months and write three 300-page decks to do it. But let's have these conversations before we sit down on paper and start sketching like, Let's build an in-house team with 20 art directors and three copywriters and a motion designer. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> I think one thing that's interesting, right, is you and I have talked a lot about clarity of purpose and, and how you describe unique services. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I love this like CMO whisperer for you, because it just frames it up so nicely, even though you do so many different things, but it, it's something that someone can pick up on uh, kind of quickly because you make everyone their work better and smarter and bring in all these different ideas and help the CMO sort of unlock potential is the way I look at it. One question I have for you though is around return on investment, right? 
A, how do you convince a CMO that they need to be whispered to? And number two is like, there's no line item in their budget, right? That says CMO whisperer. So how do you, how do you help people realize they need you and then justify whatever the, the cost would be for you to orchestrate the magic? Cause I, I've talked to your client and like, you remind me a little bit of, of venture fuel in that, like, once you get past that first hurdle and they start to work with you, it's like they love it. Right. And they can't imagine having not worked with you. And I'm curious how you overcome those sort of early hurdles. I am worth it. I'm just kidding. I know you are. <laughs> I have no doubt. Well, I think it's interesting. You know, where you play in this innovation space, very tricky. And it sometimes is like the, the stepchild budget off in the corner a little bit. Oh, what is innovation? Is that a de- group or does everyone need to do it? It's such a, it's a, it's a real uphill battle. Consultants are always on the line, are always on the budget. To be honest, the consulting budget far outweighs any other budget. Maybe ad tech and Salesforce and those guys are there. But some of the work I'm doing is very much so in the space of a BCG or a McKinsey. And I work alongside them actually to be a key leader on some of their initiatives. So in that terms, Fred, I am a steal. Seriously. I think it's like the benefit of adding an SVP to your team without the overhead, with lots of speed, no politics. And it's often for seasoned leaders, I think quite an easy hire because if you're hiring me in the true sense where most of my clients do, I come in and piggyback with them versus them making a huge organizational change or hiring like an outside agency or consultant, which rolling up with Bain isn't always the best look for if they're not already in your organization for the first couple months. It might, it might be, but it's definitely a hefty check. So my ROI is there. To unlock growth, to optimize, to innovate, often requires outside perspective. What's truly brilliant about Lindsay's approach at Sunday Dinner is creating an internal structure at the brand level that can welcome injections of new thinking and to act quickly upon new opportunities. So for any CMOs that are are ready to be whispered to, what do you think, in all seriousness, they need to be thinking about as with all the calamity in the world and all the changes that are happening? Like, is, is there any sort of like vision focus that you have right now where you're like, you know what? Everybody should be thinking about X, Y, Z. Yeah, it's probably three things. The topics du jour are definitely one. uh, Do you have your house in order in terms of your brand framework? Is everybody pointing towards the same direction? And within that, do you really know, have you made key decisions on who you want to build as you know, loyal customers, obviously, but who you want to bring into your business? So who are you going after? So brand foundation, making some decisions to orient your marketing team around the key initiatives you need them to really handle at this time. Everything has changed in terms of media consumption and behavior. And it's a really great moment to have a look at, are we all still kind of like marching to the right vision? Do we have this in place? So that's one. Two is content. Are people consuming content with brands in the same way? Are we still focusing on filling our feeds 
Are we moving to longer form content, shorter form content? What are the channels where we really want to focus on building community? And what is our role in those channels when it comes to content? Are we educating, entertaining, which is very challenging as a brand? And how do we invest? Because content is expensive. <laughs> and um, you know, again, you're, you're probably thinking as well about building teams around that to operationalize. The third thing is definitely, we've already touched upon it, is organizational design and teams. Is your structure of how you're set up actually limiting success? So where does content sit, for example? Is there a content studio? Is that in creative? But then do you have content strategists sitting in a planning group somewhere? You know, how many people does it take to post something on Instagram? <laughs> have you really siloed paid media so much that we're never you know, bringing any of that organic content into our funnel. And really thinking about organizational design, I think, is going to help you activate getting better work and market as well as creating a team who's learning how to work more collaboratively to get to that work. Love it. So selfishly, I want to ask you this question. So you know very well what, what Venture Fuel does. But one of the things I, I think is really interesting is you're always bringing fresh perspective, whether it's at one of the dinners, whether it's uh, just you know through consulting in general, you kind of have your, your thumb on the pulse of what's next. What's the value in that? Like, why should a large established player be looking at whether it's startups, creative business models, you know, other things that are happening that are maybe outside of their four walls? Well, I think you can always learn from what other people are doing. And when you're building a strategy for something, let's connect back to like content strategy, you can always look at what your adjacent competitors are doing. It's far more interesting to learn from others who might be marketing to the same audience, but are completely different in terms of scale and look and feel. Startups and emerging business models, you know, what they have to teach big models, you know, I think they move fast, startups, and test a lot. And everyone thinks uh, you know, that we need to bring this, this way of thinking into the larger established players. And I think we tried that a few times, but it doesn't always work as well. You know, we kind of get in, got into overtesting quite a bit. So I think it's interesting to see how they operate, but also taking it with a grain of salt. You know, you often want to be what you're not. So you have big guys going, I want to operate like a Glossier. Remember that? Everybody wanted to be Glossier. And I'm like, they have a very different relationship with their customers than we have. So even if we try to operate like this, it's not going to deliver the same meaning until we get to foundationally looking at how we want to show up and cultivate community that's unique to us. So I do think the growth mindset, however, and the audience-first lens that startups have is incredibly important to bring into the larger players. They also stop things that aren't working quite quickly versus continually investing in channels to sort of fill them. So that's the boldness I'd really love to bottle. I love it. So I'll get you out of here on this. So we've, you know, the name of your company is Sunday Dinner. I've already mentioned that you, you are cooking up a storm on Instagram. 
What is your uh, favorite dish that you have created during the pandemic? You no, know, I made a blog. I don't know where that came from, I know. but I did. But let's see, two weeks ago for a girlfriend who actually came over, we, we were distanced at home. I made, she's a vegetarian and I made this vegetable tagine that was really unique. It turmeric and honey and squash and cinnamon and mint. And it was just so great. Anything with Indian or Middle Eastern spices has definitely been my go-to. I love it. Turmeric is hot. We're, uh, we're running, I think I've told you this, our snack accelerator. Uh, and there was, you know, hundreds of applications, right. That all came in from around the world. And I would say the number one product that we saw within all those applications was turmeric. So that is that is definitely a trend that is here. When I go to the grocery store, I grab those little shot bottles because I feel like... It's like I feel like my mother is telling me I need one. And I usually grab the turmeric one because I think it's going to like ward off... It always says immunity on it. I'm like, oh, okay. I'll take that. Yeah, that's important to try right now. That's, that's a good move. Okay. Um, so... Lindsay, where, where can people learn more about you and, and Sunday Dinner? Where do you want to direct the audience to go? You can follow me on LinkedIn for more outspoken advice. I love it. And I will say this, people should have to pay to follow you on LinkedIn. I always, when your name pops up, I'm always like, okay, grab the pen. Here it comes. Like, There's going to be something useful here. Uh, and you really, you really do share frameworks, insights, thoughts. It's extremely generous and it's a must, must follow for anyone out there. So thank you for for sharing all your insights with us and taking the time to chat. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and be sure to hit us up at Venture Fuel on LinkedIn. Until next time.